Hello and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Ross Ingalls. Have you ever wondered what happens to all those acres of white plastic wrap that protect building sites? Today's guest can tell you too much of it goes to landfill and they're doing something about it. Tina Wazorak is CEO of the industry organisation Scaffolding, Access and Rigging New Zealand, or SANS. Penny Thompson is a research manager and designer with the Environmental Solutions Research Centre, part of Auckland's Unitech Institute of Technology. Tina and Penny, welcome to this climate business. Tina, let's start with a question for you. How much plastic wrap gets used on construction sites in New Zealand and how much of it is recycled? Well, firstly, thank you for having us. And to put it bluntly, uh, too much and not enough, which is the main reason why we partnered with the wonderful Penny uh, and Dr. Terry Ann Berry from Unitech. So, yeah, we're just finding there's, since we really started looking into this, there's not a hell of a lot of data out there. So a lot of the work we are trying to tackle and understand is really anecdotal at the moment. So, yeah, we're just trying to navigate that scope and identify where um, and how quickly we can help in this space. Mm. So it's a little bit like you started out with a clean slab. Uh, yeah, I would say so. I mean, I would say likely more a dirty slab. Mm. <laughs> there was a lot of resources out there. Uh, they were just hard to uh, navigate or even just uh, read through. There was too much information but not enough information, if that makes sense. They were super unclear um, and really out- outdated as well. How long have we had this plastic? I remember as a kid, um, I didn't see so much of it. Uh, It's definitely been around for a while. I would say in the last, uh, probably the last half a decade, it has really started to ramp up. And I think that's in turn with the amount of consents uh, and the amount of builds that are happening over the last uh, five-year period. It really has ramped up in New Zealand. Right. So, Penny, what was the mission when Tina came to see you? Uh, Well, I think... We have already done a lot of work in this area. We have been working with waste and pollution challenges um, uh, with a range of projects uh, funded by brands is our main one with um, six construction sites and five contractors. So we already had quite a lot of knowledge in that space. Mm. And um, so like many organisations, I think SANS have been working towards reducing emissions by 50% in 2023. Mm. And um, so a lot of what we were looking at was how to create a, a, a circular economy for scaffolding, mm. access and rigging. And I think she came to us because we're academia, we're impartial, and we have multiple industry partners, which is one of the keys to our success. And what form did this particular project take? Uh, Well, originally we did a proposal. Um, I think we were looking, I think the title was Determine the Feasibility of a Circular Economy. Um, What we, the form it took was we designed a decision tree for, um, to keep keep information really simple so it speaks to the audience, um, so it demystifies the environment out there. Mm. So, yeah, and so the decision tree is basically a a diagram that shows process flow, really. Right. So I've got it in front of me, and Mm -hmm. it it is literally a single page, Mm -hmm. and it provides a flow path, if you like, for decisions on using four different types of plastic, HDPE, PP, Mm -hmm. PVC, and LDPE. So, Tina, it 
sounds like a really simple answer. Is it really that simple? Resource-wise, so people have a lot more understanding of what their options are. I think it's a really good start. I would say the downside is in a lot of areas in New Zealand, they're still really under-resourced on what options are actually available for them. So Mm. Auckland uh, is really well catered to in the facilities they have to use. Uh, The South Island needs a lot of work. But it has been really positive to see there have been some startup companies that are helping in this landscape, but it's just making sure that people are actually aware of those options so they can start utilising those options. Mm. So Penny, who's using the decision tree? Well, at the moment, it's mainly site management Mm. uses the decision tree. And I think, um, yeah, we've pitched it at that level so that they can set up their own recycling process, seek out who might be able to take what type of plastic. Um, The bulk of uh, scaffolding plastic is building wrap, of Mm. course. But with the decision tree, what we've tried to do is keep it super simple, even for that tier of you know, site management. So what is it? Um, can can the supplier take it back is the key question mm. first, I think. If they can't take it back, you need to sort it. How do you sort it? Is it hard? Is it soft? Uh, let's say it's a pipe. Um, we've got some a few images on there. We've tried to keep clarity key. Um, then it goes to Mali. And, an, and a key aspect of that is, what condition does it have to be in for the recycler to take it? Mm. So that then, you know, it can be tape stripped off it, it can be cleaned. And we've done auditing and testing with our, our researchers, the mm. scientists, to determine, you know, what type of plastic and um, where it will go. So, yeah, that's mm. So the picture I'm getting is that there are uh, already existing recycle channels for most of the plastics on these building sites. The, the, the secret is mm. helping people figure out what plastics they have and where they can go. Yeah, it's quite a changeable environment. As Tina said, we, you know, there's been the odd situation where plastic has been taken back, not in the right conditions, and that just makes it impossible for it to be recycled mm. and mixing of certain plastics. So sorting is really key. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's the behaviour change on the on That's the, the behaviour change, yeah. Right. Yeah. So we're trying to combine design and science really mm. to sort of, you know, yeah, to yeah, to really get that behaviour change going through just accessible information, yeah. not science jargon. Tina, you touched on this before. What anecdotally, what behaviour change are you seeing on building science? Uh, I mean, I think the the want to do it has definitely been there for a long time. But like I said, just a lot of, particularly the smaller regions, are just under-resourced on what options are available for them. Um, and then, of course, there is going to be those companies that just, they're looking at the bottom line all the time and that's their top priority. Um, so I think the more and more companies that we kind of see coming into New Zealand offering services in this space or even just products that are available that can be utilised in a circular way Um, because I think that's probably going to be another big contributor over the next few years is um, the innovation that we see in some of the products that can be utilised and what they can be remade into into Mm. the New Zealand space. I mean, I know there's a company that is um, recycling it and turning into farm posts, um, things Mm. like that, ones Mm. that can actually give back to New Zealand business. 
But yeah, I think the more and more that we see legislation change, the more that we see, you know, like millennials coming through and the younger generation, this is what they're wanting to see from companies. Um, And Mm. it really is just turning into a no-brainer that you have to start considering uh, these options for your business. Should we be surprised that this initiative came from the industry? No, not at all. (laughs) I think (laughs) in a lot of spaces, these sort of initiatives have been... uh, wanted by industry for a long time. Um, and I think a lot of the time we do see government overlooking industry's opinions in a lot of these spaces. Ah, okay. Um, Penny, uh, I understand that the picture is not uniform across the entire country, that, mm. that there are recycling options in some parts of the country but not in others, and so you're proposing regional variants of yeah. this decision tree. Can you talk about that? Yeah, uh, Regions are challenging and what we're looking at is trying to sort of use our knowledge from other projects we're working on to um, to ad- address the regional issue. There's pockets and as I mentioned, um, the New Plymouth District Council and the Hamilton Council are doing some really great work in that space and seem to have identified some quite good solutions but that's our next pocket of work. Mm. Um, One thing that has come up that's been quite an interesting possible solution is we've been working a little bit with Plasback, who are agricultural recyclers of silage wrap, and that's been quite interesting because a massive challenge is transport as well. Mm. When it's, especially in the regions, you just don't have the existing networks. So Plasback's interesting because they service all the farms. So they've got the transport networks and they've got the balers. We haven't got the sort of volume value um, model mm, going yet yeah, where, yeah. you know, like I think, you know, there will need to be certain volumes for that to work. But those kind of solutions are quite interesting because we are, because we work across different sectors, we can see, you know, the agricultural sector and this is construction and I think those oh, kind of... I see, you can, put the, you can put the players together. Put the players together mm. is, is where we sit in a unique position that we can kind of make those connections. Right. Yeah. A godlike view. Yeah, a godlike view. <laughs> I think this is what is great well, as well. It doesn't yeah. necessarily just have to be a bin in one particular mm. industry's yard. Like it's particularly if you're mm. in those smaller regions, there's no reason why you can't share those sort of utilities with your local plumbers down the road or, you know, your local electricians down exactly. the road or any right. other trade. Um, I mean like you said, with the decision tree there, it's really clear cut on what plastics you can put into certain areas, which ones you can recycle with. And Plasback, because they have the bin on a particular yard, um, scaffolding yards do tend to have a bit of space that they can hold those bins. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it's just going to be to do with collaboration as well. Mm. Yeah, industry collaboration and partnerships been a really key part of why the ESRC has been successful in what we're doing, right. is that connection. Okay. Understood. Um, have you had to create partnerships, formal partnerships with suppliers um, to make this happen, Tina? Uh, Not necessarily formal partnership, but we do have um, two particular partners who I think have been really brilliant in helping in this space. Um, One of them is one of the main suppliers in New Zealand for shrink wrap, uh, shrink wrap supplies, but Mm. the way that they are tackling how they are going to move forward and um, creating viable environmental environmentally friendly options for their clients has been brilliant. Um, And even just their knowledge in the space on what is workable, what is reasonably practical, um, what is actually implementable for a business, um, I think that is key because that's part of listening Mm. to industry and making sure that it is something 
that is wanted to be picked up by the industry as a whole? We were talking a little earlier about um, the, the broader picture here, Tina, which is the shift that you're seeing in the industry towards sustainability, not just because the players want to be more sustainable, but because they have to be. Can, can you explain that? Yeah, of course. So um, we are seeing it to be more and more common uh, that one of the the main things that contractors are wanting to see, particularly the main contractor or councils, government, uh, there is a stipulation that you do have to have uh, a quite a high standard waste management plan as part of uh, your business plan to be eligible to be contracted by the main developer. Um, this is in part due to legislation that's coming out. Um, and I think in part too that in construction, we're really aware of the waste that we contribute to the environment. Um, and people are wanting to take accountability for that. So it doesn't necessarily just fall on the main contractor and making sure that what they're doing, it, it goes right through the supply chain. Right. Um, and that starts from design, how you design the building, how mm. you're thinking it from day one right to you know, 20, 30 years after the build is actually completed. Mm. Um, they're really actually starting to think it through. So unless you're kind of up with the play, I think it's going to be less and less chance that you're able to be contracted for a lot of these bigger builds, particularly in mm. commercial. And Penny, this compliance, uh, uh, mm. Tina's talking about legislation that's going to require um, uh, waste management plans. Yes. Um, to what degree do you think you're seeing the response being just compliance, in other words, filling out the paperwork, as mm. opposed to actual behaviour change? Well, from our testing, the actual behaviour change is happening, but obviously with those trial sites, they're already quite committed. Right contractors so um, but it happens at the worker level and I think that's in a, you know that that's where where the actual get the plastic put it in mm. and sort it properly has to happen so we've found that education and training is just really important in getting that buy-in and often we've found too that the the one person will step forward and say I'm really passionate about this I'm going to really own this space oh. And it's often, you know, someone who's working on site. And that's how it's led. So I think some kind of certification or something like that could be a good way to go because recognising that passion and that commitment to the process is a really good way to get others to come on board and to actually comply with the sorting. Sounds like you're going to have your hands full. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's very busy space at the moment. It yeah. really is. It's, yeah, right. um, yeah. yeah it's, we're definitely extremely busy. Yes. <laughs> um, well, last question then, Tina. I get the feeling that it's early days in this sustainability thrust with SANS. Can you tell me where you expect to go from here? Yeah, very early days. But I think the wonderful thing is, like Penny was saying earlier, a lot of it is going to be collaboration with other industries, the likes of wonderful academic that do work well beyond my mm. <laughs> understanding. <laughs> Having partnerships like that is, I would say, first steps and is really positive steps too in being able to implement the change. I would hope that we just continue as we are and creating just more digestible resources to get everybody on board at every level. Like Penny said, that mm. site level is really important because um, as much as you want to say that um, you've got certain policies and things in space, everybody knows unless it's actually filtered right through to the the ones that are actually having to mm. deliver on it, mm. then it does become really tricky. But 
yeah, I think there's a lot of passion for it out there at the moment. Um, and it's just making sure that we kind of keep our, our foot on the pedal and moving forward with how we are progressing at the moment. Thank you. Tina, Penny, thanks for joining us on This Climate Business. Thanks, thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. If you like the show, please rate us as it helps others to find us. Ka kiti anō.